So last week we uh, talked about in the message Revelation chapter 21, the first seven verses there, and today we're going to continue on in Revelation 21, and we're going to be getting some more details here about what is going on when that last day comes and what's going to happen. Who here likes to go on vacation? Anybody? Why do we go on vacation? We go on vacation so that we can get away from the, the everyday normal stuff <laughs> and to get out of our routines and just to get a break, to get away and relax, right? So this summer, my family and I, at the end of July, are going to go to now, don't laugh yet, but we're going to Green Bay, Wisconsin. We, this is where I take my family on vacation. But we rented a cabin on the lake there, and we are going to go, and my girls are very excited about this, to take a tour of Lambeau Field. I know that's what you all would love to do. But today, we are going to take a tour a different kind of a tour, a tour of New Jerusalem, which is heaven, of course. And like I mentioned, we are going to get some more details here from John. Remember, Revelation is a vision that was given to John the Apostle about what's going to happen. And this specifically is what is going to happen on that last day. And so let's take a look at the text. Revelation Chapter 21, you can follow along in your Bibles if you have them or follow along on the screen, the first verse. And so last week, I mentioned four words that jumped out at me, and they were new, the new heaven and new earth. They were dwell, God will dwell with his people forever. Tears, there will be no more tears or sin in heaven. And then finally, done. It is done is what Jesus said, said last week because he took care of the salvation for us. And so the same thing. These are phrases that jumped out at me from these verses here in Revelation chapter 21. So the first verse is uh, verse 9. And here's what it says. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you, John, the bride the wife of the lamb. So here, it might be a little obvious. The thing that jumped out at me is the wife of the lamb. What is this? This is none other than the church. This is you and I. This is all of our brothers and sisters in Christ together. We are the wife of the lamb. And last week, it talked about how we are adorned. We are the adorned bride waiting ready for the husband, who is, of course, Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And so, weddings are usually a joyous celebration, right? Everybody's happy, it's fun, it's joyous. So what we're getting here in this verse, and then the notes on your uh, sermon notes, this is an image of pure joy and celebration, is what we're getting here. But what's interesting is we get a taste of this joy and celebration now every time we gather together here in church on Sunday or whenever we gather in church on Wednesdays or whenever you're gathering with other brothers and sisters over the Bible, reading together. 
We get a taste of this joy and celebration. But on this last day, it's going to be pure joy and celebration, and it's going to be intensified. Because Jesus himself will be there face to face with us. Let's go on, verses 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So what's going on here? A couple things. Of course, the thing that's going to jump out to me, if you know anything about me, is what? The great high mountain that John got taken to. Another reminder, big things happen on mountains, right? So we talked about one of my very first sermon series with you as a pastor, the, the, some of the main mountains in the Bible, Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, etc., etc., and then in the New Testament, the different mountains there. And, and we got to see some of these when we were over in Israel, and I wanted to share a couple pictures here. And this first one is a picture of, now you can't tell this is a mountain because there's been things built on it over the centuries, and basically all the things that have been built there now in Jerusalem, this is Jerusalem, it's completely enveloped the mountaintop. But trust me, this is a mountain because we went up a ways to get to, the, to Jerusalem. And so there on the left is the Dome of the Rock. That is the Temple Mount. That is where the temple was built by Solomon. The exact same spot. We didn't get to go onto the Temple Mount because the Muslims control the Temple Mount. Now that's a mosque, unfortunately, now. And so we couldn't go on it. But inside there is the rock that you can touch and you can actually see the top of the mountain, which is Mount Zion. And so this is one of the mountains we got to view when we were there. This next picture, this is the Mount of Olives. And we're standing by the Temple Mount here when we took this picture of the Mount of Olives. And this is, of course, where Jesus went with his disciples many times. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane is over there. And back then, it wouldn't have looked like it does now. It would have looked a lot more lush with more olive trees and stuff, but now it's just pretty much solid concrete of gravestones because everybody wants to be buried, you know, next to the Temple Mount. But that's the Mount of Olives, and that was a very cool thing to see. This next picture, this is the bottom of a mountain. This is the bottom of Golgotha. This is where Jesus was crucified. Now, they're 100% positive this is the location of Golgotha. And by the way, this isn't very far from that Temple Mount. It's one of the things we learned over there is how close everything is. And when I read it in the Bible before, I imagine things just being further apart. But this isn't far at all from the Temple Mount. And so this is the bottom of Golgotha. And of course, there's a church plopped on top of this. And this next picture here, uh, back one, there. Now, you ignore my butt but that's me underneath the altar what this is is right on top of Golgotha they have this church and this altar is over the top of Golgotha 
and you can crawl under the altar and they have a hole there and you can reach down and touch the top of Golgotha. Now this was an amazing experience for all of us that were there because when we were over there in Israel, it just happened to be Holy Week for the Eastern Church, Eastern Christianity. That's a week later than our Holy Week. So we got to do this on Good Friday. And I got to tell you, that was a very powerful, moving thing to experience, to touch the top of the rock, the mountain where our Savior was nailed to a cross. And that's why I don't say that lightly when I say big things happen on mountains. Every time a mountain's mentioned in the Bible, big things happen there. And this was the biggest, of course, where Jesus died for us. And so the next thing from this passage that jumped out to me was the holy city, Jerusalem. So a lot of times, Jerusalem, again, Revelation is nothing. And the more I've studied Revelation, the more I realize it's, there's nothing new in it. It's been told to us in all the rest of the Bible. Everything is connected together so beautifully. The holy city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem's been the, the place where God has come to dwell with his people. It's the place of the temple. And that's what he's calling his people now, the new Jerusalem. That's us. This represents us, the church. And then the final thing from these two verses in Revelation 21, 10, and 11 is having the glory of God. This is talking about us again. You see, like we talked about last week, the world, the world that we live in needs a renovation because of sin. The effects of sin on our world has been tremendous. It's why we have all this evil, all this suffering because of sin. And so just like that, our bodies, we will be getting new bodies when we go to heaven on this last day. And it says here in Revelation 21, having the glory of God, our bodies will be like that of the resurrected Jesus. Look what it says here in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to be getting a new body, doesn't it? I feel that way every time I'm, I play basketball here on this court. I'd like to be able to play basketball and not suffer tremendously later. And so I look forward to that in heaven. Let's move on in Revelation 21, verses 12 through 14 and verse 21. It says this, it had a great high wall, this Jerusalem, with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. 
And so a couple things jumped out to me here from these verses. The first thing is the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. Again, God connecting this to the rest of the Bible, the theme of the whole Bible. God's had one plan from the start, never changed. The 12 tribes of Israel are what he built his people on, which made up the country of Israel. This represents the Old Testament people. And then, of course, the 12 apostles represents the New Testament and how the whole Bible is unified into one church. And again, we get another example of how Scripture here is tied together in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. It's on the screen for you. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Again, so this picture that John is getting is nothing new. It's all built on the apostles and the prophets, and the chief cornerstone is Jesus himself. And then we get this picture. If you've ever wondered where the pearly gates came from, this is where it came from. The gates are going to have pearls on them. There's going to be a gold street, transparent glass. Everything's going to be clear, perfect. And this just shows us how precious and valuable this is. The Lamb, Jesus, paid the precious cost so we can enter the pearly gates. And it's as simple as that. You know, I know you've all heard these jokes before about the pearly gates, but there's this one. St. Peter addresses this guy, who are you so that I may know whether or not to admit you into the kingdom of heaven? The guy replies, I'm Joe Cohen, taxi driver of New York City. St. Peter consults his list. He smiles and says to the taxi driver, take this silken robe and golden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. The taxi driver goes into heaven with his robe and staff, and it's the minister's turn. He stands erect and booms out, I am Joseph Snow, pastor of Calvary for the last 43 years. St. Peter consults his list. He says to the minister, take this cotton robe and wooden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. Just a minute, says the minister. That man was a taxi driver, and he got a silken robe and golden staff. How can this be? Up here we work by results, says St. Peter. While you preached, people slept. While he drove, people prayed. <laughs> I took offense to this joke because I'm a minister. <laughs> but thankfully that's not how the pearly gates work. The reason there's 12 gates on this, if you paid attention, three gates on every side simply symbolizes that it's open for all nations, all those believers, all the people to flow into the city of Jerusalem, this holy city that we will all be a part of when we go there. And so now we conclude with these final verses here in Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city. Remember that temple mount picture I showed you. The temple is the main part of the temple mount. And it was 
for centuries for, the, for Israel. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of this earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it ever, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So a couple things that jumped out to me here from this passage. The first thing is no temple, because there's no need for one. There's no need for a church. There's no need for this church like we have here at Promise. There's no need for the churches that we see all over Fort Wayne. You know, the temple has always been the place where God comes to dwell with his people. It's been a mediator of sorts for God to come and dwell with us. But there will be no need for it in heaven because Jesus himself is there looking us face to face because Jesus is the temple. Remember when Jesus was being hounded by the Pharisees about the temple and he said what? Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. He wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about himself. Jesus is the temple and there will be no need for a temple up there. The last thing here that jumps out at me, and it usually jumps out at a lot of people, is this, the Lamb's Book of Life. And it talks about, the Book of Life is talked about more than it is in Revelation. It's talked about in other books, too, of the Bible. And I'm here to tell you, this is not something you have to worry about at all, whether your name's written in it or not, because guess what? You are in the Lamb's Book of Life. Why do we know that? Because it's not based on anything that we do. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. Which has come to this earth. Put on flesh. The creator becoming one of the creatures. He lived a perfect life on our behalf. And then carried all of our sins on his back to that cross where he was forsaken by his father because the father has to punish sin and Jesus did that for us and because of that we are in the lamb's book of life and that is the best news I could ever share with any of you and it's in Jesus name amen